How many of you have found the Lord to be faithful? Sometimes when we're not faithful, He is always faithful. I want to continue with where we were last week in the book of Hebrews and looking at a warning to the heart of hearing. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. But before we get there, I want to read you something that uh, I get several periodicals and keep up with what the pagans are thinking about. And so uh, I tore this out of the back of a U.S. News and World Report this week. The last article, the last page, has an article entitled, America for Dummies. I want to read you some of what it says. Is America getting dumber? A look at the numbers. According to the Department of Education, nearly a third of our 4th, 8th, and 12th grade students don't understand the basics of American political system. Fewer than half of our high school seniors have a basic understanding of our nation's history. During the recent election, nearly half of the voting population under 30 got its political news from late night talk shows. The Four Dummies series of books originated in the early 90s with a few computer-related titles. Since then, the guides have sold more than 100 million copies, offering lowbrow instruction on everything from the art of sushi to dating. We imported well, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire from Britain, but left the toughest questions behind. To win the grand prize there, you had to know the husband of the Queen of England during the reign of Henry II was the answer. To win in America, you had to know which president appeared on Laugh-In. 15.1 million viewers watched the premiere of NBC's The Weakest Link. That woman needs help. <laughs> Bet she doesn't have a boyfriend either. Uh, just a thought. The show denies players the, cr the crutch of multiple choices, but who needs multiple choices to answer questions like, Frosty the Snowman's eyes were made of what? Frank DeCaro, who writes a popular cultural article for the New York Times and TV Guide, speculated that Americans are working so hard that when we relax, we want to turn our minds off too. One of the reasons lowbrow entertainment is so appealing is that we're all exhausted. When you're tired, the stuff that gives you the most pleasure is the stuff that makes you giggle. One of the problems with America today is not only the dumbing down of the culture, but it is the dumbing down of the church. That we want to be entertained. That we want to feel good. That we do not want to go deeper with God and go take our roots into deep soil and understand the, the deep things about God. And so I want to read to you again out of the message, and you can follow along in your translation. Then we'll go back to New American Standard. He says, I have a lot to say about this, but it is hard to get it across because you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. Yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one, baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. 
Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong, verse 1 of chapter 6. So come on, let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. I heard a story about a kindergarten teacher who asked her children to bring something to kindergarten that would represent a symbol of their faith. The Muslim child showed up and said, I'm a Muslim. This is my prayer rug. The Jewish child showed up and said, I am Jewish. This is the Star of David. The uh, uh, Catholic person showed up and said, I am a Catholic. This is my rosary. The Baptist kid walked up and said, I'm a Baptist. This is my casserole dish. Sad to say that describes many of our churches. We're about as deep as banana pudding. That's about as far as we can go. If you feed Baptists, they'll come. That is physically. But if you try to feed them spiritually, they'll stay away in droves. We have millions of people on our church rolls today across America that we can't even find because there's no desire, there's no hunger for the things of God. Sometimes people look at the Word of God like it's perfume. Nice to smell, but I'm not interested in swallowing it. I'm not interested in taking it in. And it is too easy for us in this dumbing down culture in which we live to take the Word of God and to get to a comfort level where we do not have to be stretched anymore, we don't have to know anymore, and we get our favorite songs and our favorite seats and our favorite texts and our favorite teachers, and we lock in right there, and we never let God stretch us. We never let Him teach us. We don't listen to Him and what he says that we are supposed to do. And so last week, we looked at an unmistakable observation in verse 11. I want us this morning to look at the neglected obligation. Verse 12, the first part says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now, there's one thing I, I learned uh, in taking foreign languages. If you don't use it, you lose it. I took Spanish uh, in high school. I know just enough Spanish to order at Taco Bell. I took Greek, and if I do not work on it, I can quickly forget anything I ever learned. Even basic principles of the language can be forgotten if it's not used and practiced over and over again. The same is true with the Word of God. If you don't use what you've learned, you lose what you've learned. Let me ask you to just listen as I read from Matthew 13 and verse 12. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance but whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Thomas Hewitt is right when he says, if the dark things do not become plain, then the plain things will become dark. He says you ought to be teachers. You should be able to disciple somebody. You should be able to mentor somebody. You should be able to transfer your life to someone, to put what God has taught you into someone else's life. And he says, these people were supposed to be at that point, but they weren't there yet. This is what's happening in my generation. 
The baby boomers have raised their kids and raised their income and raised their prospects and raised their eyes to one thing. Let's go back to adolescence and live the rest of our lives entertaining ourselves. And sometimes those of us who are baby boomers live for entertainment and for luxuries and not for God. It happens with the builders, my parents' generation, who flock to places all across this country to all-you-can-eat buffets and cheap shows, but never want to give themselves in teaching the younger how to live the faith. And if a church dies, if a denomination dies, if a movement of God dies, it will die primarily because those of us who are older and who have been seasoned and who know better refuse to pass on to those who are younger what God had taught us. We were out doing our own thing. We were out entertaining ourselves. We are supposed to be teachers of the Word. The Scripture makes it very, very clear. Older widows are to teach younger widows. A number of years ago, my wife in the ladies' Bible study tried to get a mentoring program started. She had 26 young moms who wanted to be mentored, only two who wanted to mentor them. It is a sad commentary when we have learned so much and we want to criticize what the younger do, but we don't want to invest to help them become something that God wants them to become. You and I are called as we get older and as we mature to impact another generation, to pass on what we have heard, the things Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, that you have heard and seen in me. These impart to faithful men who will teach others also. We pass on our faith. We teach with our lives and with our lips. He says, you ought to be teachers. And those of us that have been saved for any substantial amount of time, God has called us to invest in the lives of other people, to teach others what we know. But notice what he says. He says, you need someone to teach you. You ought to be teaching, but you need someone to teach you. You need someone to come alongside and, and help you along when you ought to be helping somebody else along. Now, he's talking in the spiritual realm there that after as long as you and I have been believers, we should be pouring our lives into other people, teaching them, training them, mentoring them, investing in them, helping them to know, helping them to understand, helping them to see the things that God has taught us. And yet he says, you still need somebody to teach you. One of the people that I will always cherish in my memory in this church was J.P. McDaniel. J.P. McDaniel was very, very feeble the last few years of his life. He and his wife gave themselves faithfully to this church for a number of years. But J.P. McDaniel, when he could have said, as a feeble, failing health senior adult, he could have said, hey, I've done my part for God and country. Up until the last week of his life, you would find him on the floor in the preschool area playing with small children that couldn't read. And when I went to his home after he died, all across his house, everywhere you could turn, every mirror, every wall, were hundreds of pictures of children that he had taught that were now some deacons in our church. 
some Sunday school teachers that he had poured his life into, that he had invested in with his life. And I will always cherish his memory because there was a man who physically could have said, I'm through. But he did not check out until God checked him in at home. And every one of us should live that way. We should live with our eyes on being everything God's called us to be and then giving our lives out to other people. Some of us are like an old sponge. We've soaked up a lot of water and we need to be wrung out. We got a lot in us, but it's not being squeezed out of us. And if you don't squeeze water out of a sponge, you know what happens to it? It becomes mildewed and soured. You want to know why some senior adults get sour? Because they've got so much in them that they've never given it out. And so they get sour. And you know what a sponge does when you let it sit like that? It gets hard. Rather than being soft and rather than being a vessel that just flows through and flows out of, wrung out, giving out, giving out, giving out, it becomes self-absorbed, self-absorbed. And all of us are guilty of that. It doesn't matter whether you're 20 years old or 200 years old. We're all guilty of wanting to get our sponge filled up with water and never giving it out to anybody else, holding on to what we've heard. The elementary principles of the oracles of God, he talks about those things that are first or beginning. What he's saying is, is that you ought to be a teacher, but you're over here in this little bassinet. You're just, you're just over here in the baby bed, not where you're supposed to be. Or you're waiting for somebody at the church to come around and, and just kind of push you around. You want to you come to church and, and you want to do the elementary things. You want somebody to push you and say, everything okay? Honey, you doing all right down there? Bless your heart. You just doing okay? Am I going too fast for you? Do, do we need to stop and change you? Sweetheart, it's okay. It doesn't matter if you knock everything off the shelf at Walmart. There's somebody here that'll pick that up. And we just want to roll around and have people push us around in our spiritual immaturity and just take care of us and pamper us and make sure we have our pacifier. We don't want to do anything. He says that it's the elementary principles, the ABCs of our faith. If you were talking in the area of science, it would be referring to the basic elements. If you were talking in the area of English, it would be about grammar and sentence structure. If you were talking about philosophy, it would be the basic arguments of logic. If you were talking in the area of math, it would be addition and subtraction. But in the area of faith, he's talking about the milk. That there are people who never get off the milk. They never get off the bottle. They never get weaned, and they never develop an appetite. They never have a hunger for things that are deep, that you have to chew on, that you have to wrestle with, that you have to think about. And it is very easy for us to get to a point where we know just enough to be dangerous, but not enough to make an impact. Just enough that we sound like we're students of the Word but not enough to change the lives of those that we touch. And so we come to the third point, and that is the regrettable offense in verse 12. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, 
for he is an infant. Now, in the original Greek, this is a scolding. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a deep, deep, hard scolding. I mean, this is not nearly as light as it comes across in the English. He uses the same metaphor that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 3, talking about the babies and about carnal people. What he's saying there is if you're not accustomed to the word of righteousness, although you should be by now, that he is an infant, and he uses the word carnal there, that if we are not growing in our faith, we are in fact carnal. That those of us who have been saved and delivered from our sin, if we are not developing in our knowledge and understanding of God, we are in fact carnal no matter how we clean up. He uses the term milk, which is just a word for the beginning level of instruction. You know what the beginning level of instruction is? How to have a quiet time. How, how to pray. How to read your Bible. The beginning level of instruction. But he says that, that you need to be on meat, advanced instruction. And so what are the self-identifying characteristics of immaturity? Of not growing up, of not listening, of not hearing, and not absorbing what God wants you and I to absorb. Number one, they are unable to share truth with someone else. They are unable to share truth with someone else. They can't help anybody else. We have a national EE clinic here this week, and we have people from around this part of the country, and we have a, a doctor here from the Ukraine. He'll be sharing his testimony tonight as part of our service. And you know, you know what people do. And every one of us have done this. Every one of us has done this. So everybody's guilty. I don't know how to tell you how to be saved, but I know somebody down at the church can. Folks, if you can't even figure out the Roman road, how do you know you've walked it? I, I can't help you, but somebody down at the church can. I can't minister to you, but, but you know, we got staff down at the church. They can minister to you. The only problem is the book of Ephesians says that the, that the ministers exist to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And the ministry of the church is carried on by the members of the church. And it is multiplied through the staff teaching the members how to do ministry, how to learn, how to be equipped. But there are people who say, you know, I know somebody down there can tell you. That is a commentary on the church in America today, and it's a disgrace and a drain on the resources that God has given us. Now, he, he says in this really a caustic sarcasm, he, he's pulling out all the stops. And when he talks about them being babies and talks about them being infants, he's got this picture of grown adults sitting in diapers and nursing and, and being spoon-fed. He's trying to shock them into saying, you think you come to church and look like this, but in reality, this is what it looks like to God. God sees us where we are spiritually, in our development spiritually. And he, he's trying to get their attention. He's trying to help them understand. If you're not climbing, you're crawling. If you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. And so he wants them to understand that they are not accustomed to the word of righteousness. This describes somebody who has lacks experience because they failed to develop.
Someone who is not accustomed to the works of righteousness lacks experience, but not because the experience is not there, not because the opportunity is not there, but because they just decided they didn't want to grow up. They did not want to develop. Secondly, not only are they unable to share truth with someone else, but secondly, they are unable to discern good from evil, verse 14. They are unable to discern good from evil. Now, this phrase has a twofold meaning. First of all, it has a moral meaning of good from evil. In other words, if a person is not growing spiritually, then they'll begin to accept things in their life that God says are unacceptable. They'll begin to justify things in their walk that God says are inconsistent with walking with God. They won't know the difference between good and evil. That's a moral sense. But there's a theological sense to the word, too. The theological sense is they will not be able to recognize the difference between sound doctrine and heresy. They won't know the difference between a false teacher and a true teacher of the Word of God. They'll be deceived. They'll be blinded. They'll be taken off the path. Why? Because they don't know how to discern the difference between good and evil. Thirdly, the immature live on the basis of emotions. The immature live on the basis of emotions. Solid food, he says, is for the mature. The immature will follow preachers and get caught up in personalities. There, there are people that will watch certain television preachers and never miss them, never miss them. Their TV went off, they'd call the cable company. Never think about spending that time talking to them. I may talk to God instead of watching my favorite preacher. You see, the immature don't want solid food. They want to be spoon-fed. They judge everything by appearances or by externals. They, they lack discernment. They judge a service by how it makes them feel. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. There are Baptists sitting in Southern Baptist churches all across America today with pastors that do not anywhere come close to preaching the Word of God, and their people don't even have a clue. They can listen to somebody, and they say, well, it sounded good to me, but you ought to take what is preached from a pulpit, and you ought to evaluate it in light of the Word of God. You ought to look at the Word, study the Word, so you know if you're ever being taught error or heresy or somebody's slipping something in that's not found in the Word of God. Philippians 3, verse 18. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. The immature live for emotions. What do I mean by that? Very simply this, what Paul says here. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. There are some people, they're just looking for a church that will make them feel good. A lot of what's happening today in the seeker-sensitive movement is that we're trying to make people feel comfortable in church. I want to tell you something. If you're lost in the presence of a holy God, you're not going to feel comfortable until you meet that holy God. God confronts us with sin, and our sin confronts us with how wretched we are. And when we see that, we're not comfortable, we're desperate. 
And we've, got, we've done way too much overboard trying to make the culture feel comfortable in church. Church is not meant to please the culture. Church is meant to worship a living and holy God and to give honor and praise to Him. And if the culture doesn't feel comfortable, they need to know that they're out of step with the living God. Now, that's not being mean to those who are in the culture. That's not being mean to those who are seeking the Lord. There's a difference between being sensitive to lost people and sensitive to their needs and placating them so that they never realize what the real truth is. I'm convinced that a lot of people that are making decisions in churches that are not preaching the Word are not making decisions for Christ. They're making decisions for emotion and for feelings. Because when you follow Christ, you go all the way to the cross. And the cross is an instrument of death. It's not just something we wear around our necks. It's not a piece of jewelry. It's not a bumper sticker. It is an instrument that says, I have died to myself. I no longer live for myself, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh is not for me. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It is that Christ might be glorified in my life. That's what deep thinking does. And that's different from the way most people think. Number four, they are irritable when they don't get their way. Now, I'm not going to camp here because I don't have to use too many illustrations. But have you ever seen a baby, a spoiled baby that didn't get their way? What do they do? Scream, cry, whine, throw things, stomp their feet, jump up and down. I've seen that in church foyers with 40-year-olds. Haven't you? You ever sat in a Sunday school class where somebody didn't get their way? That's all they won't talk about. Preacher, change my formula. I don't like it. How easy it is to be irritable. How difficult it is to be godly. And the problem is, and I'm grateful to God that we don't have that mindset here, but the problem is a lot of churches and a lot of parents allow children to get away with whining. And then the whiners rule the roost and run the church and run the home. That's not the way God said it's supposed to be. Whiners should be treated as whiners and addressed as whiners and call them what they are. You know, you say to your kids sometimes when they were growing up, you know what, you just need to grow up. You need to put a lid on it. You need to be quiet. You need to behave. You need to learn how to act. We say that to our kids, but then we come to church and we excuse people who act ugly or unkind or unchristlike. And we say, oh, well, that's just the way they are. And I would submit to you they've never been saved because Jesus said if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
That stuff's passed away. All things, not just things we want to change, all things have become new. And the problem with the immature is they get irritable when they don't get their way. And sometimes they get irritable when they don't get their way and they disguise it with phrases like this. I'm concerned. I'm burdened. I want y'all to pray about something. And all that is, is putting a sanctified term on gossip and murmuring. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to be God's people, if the church in America is going to quit playing the dumbing down role, then we have to say this is the standard and quit bringing the standard down so carnal people feel comfortable in church. God never said, make church comfortable for carnal people. Paul confronted the carnal. The writer of the Hebrews confronted the carnal and said, you folks need to grow up. You need to grow up. You need to move on in your faith. You need to grow up in your faith. Paul did not placate them. He loved them, but he didn't baby them. No letter was ever harsher than the letter to the Corinthians. And he wrote it because he cared about them, because he had poured his life into them. And he said, I, I want to speak to you as men, but I have to speak to you as babies. And so we come to the present opportunity. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Therefore, what are we supposed to do? In light of the warning, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to leave these elementary teachings. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Dr. A.T. Pearson, one of the great preachers of another age, was a traveling evangelist in the last part of his life. And he said that I would go to churches and I would hear people just doing all kind of stuff. I'd walk into the church. I'd sit and listen. They wouldn't know who I was. And I would overhear the conversations. And he said, my habit in almost every church I went into was to find some group of people in the church that was talking about the wrong kind of things, and I would walk up to him, and I would stick my Bible up and say, quit your baby talk. Quit your baby talk. Stop talking like babies. Stop being elementary in your thinking. Satan loves for us to stay at a ground level because we're not dangerous. people that are dangerous to the armies of Satan are people who are equipped warriors for Christ, who have learned how to put on the spiritual armor, who have learned how to walk deep in the things of God. Now, I want you to see what he talks about as elementary things, and you're going to be surprised. Maybe. Maybe you won't. Number one, he talks about washings. If you were to update that, that would be modes of baptism. I remember having a conversation with somebody one time. In fact, the guy was drunk. 
and I was having a conversation with him, and he wanted to argue with me about whether baptism was for salvation or in obedience to salvation. I said, you know, I finally said to him, I said, you know, for a guy that's slap-happy drunk, this is kind of a dumb argument for you to be having because I don't think you've been saved or you wouldn't be standing here breathing on me and knocking me over with your breath right now. They want to argue about modes of baptism. Not only do they want to argue about modes of baptism, as the Hebrews, it would have been ceremonial washings, but laying on of hands. The second thing they want to argue about is, well, who should we lay hands on? Oh, we, we should only lay hands on certain people. Who should we lay, and who should do the laying on of hands? Now, can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. Writer of Hebrews says that doesn't matter. Now, here's the third one. And this is where we think differently than the writer of Hebrews. He says, the resurrection of the dead. When will the dead be raised? When will the dead be raised? Now, if, if I were to announce tonight, I'm going to preach a message tonight on five things that will happen at the resurrection of the dead. Some of you would show up because I'm curious about that. I'm curious about that resurrection of the dead stuff. That's elementary teaching. That's baby talk. We think it's serious. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he had to correct them and teach them about the resurrection of the dead because they got so caught up in that they forgot to do what God called them to do. But I want you to see the fourth one, and this one's going to shock some of you. Prophecy. Prophecy. In the area of elementary teachings, the coming judgment and prophecy is considered by the writer of Hebrews elementary school stuff. When is the church going to be raptured? Will the church go through the tribulation? Who's the Antichrist? What's the third toe on the right leg of the horseman, of the third horseman? I mean, you know, when is all this stuff going to happen? You know, we get so, we think prophecy is so deep. There's one guy on television, every Sunday he's preaching on prophecy. And I've had people, oh, he is deep. I said, no, he's not. He's shallow. He's shallow. What difference does it make about what's going to happen out there that we have no control over when we don't walk out the door and live godly for Jesus, which we do have control over? Doesn't make any difference if you know who the rider of the fourth horse is. Doesn't make any difference if you know what color the horses are or who the Antichrist is. What difference will that make tomorrow when you go to work? None. The only reason for prophecy is for us to have a sense of urgency that Jesus might come today. And because he might come today, we need to be urgent in sharing our faith with people who may be lost if we don't share today. That's the sense of urgency. All this other stuff the writer says are elementary teachings, and yet we, we think they're deep. We, we think, oh, that's, that's, that's deep stuff. That's, that's deep, you know, getting, getting Daniel and getting prophecy. Oh, that's deep stuff. You know what? You can listen to it for a hundred years and you still won't have it figured out. It's one of the mysteries of God. We're to wait and to watch for His coming. That's enough. Now, He doesn't say to leave means to neglect these things. It simply means they're not to be the center of our attention. 
He's not saying that knowing about the resurrection of the dead or knowing about prophecy, we're not supposed to talk about that anymore. What he's saying is don't get focused on that. So what are the deep things of God? Learning what it means to live to the glory of God. Learning what it means to walk daily under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Learning what it means to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Learning what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Because the scripture says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Learning what it means to rest in the sufficiency of God and quit trying to work ourselves into God's approval. Now you say, well, that, that, that's basic stuff. I've heard that all my life. Then try to live it. You go out and live this week in the power of the Holy Spirit and you'll see how deep a life that really is and how easy it is for us to fall back on our flesh and fall back on our old way of thinking and fall back into our carnality and not trust God in these areas. Notice what Major Ian Thomas says. I have discovered an interesting thing about American Christians. They do not usually come to church to learn anything. Whatever they do, not yet know themselves, they think is heresy. What they want to hear is the same old stuff so they can say, Amen, brother. Amen. So what does the writer tell us to do? Press on to maturity. Push. Grasp. Long. Seek to be a mature believer in Jesus Christ. You say, well, what does a mature believer in Jesus Christ look like? Well, that may be hard to define. But the absence of maturity is easy to detect. It may be hard to define what a mature believer is, but if you see an adult riding around in their little stroller, want somebody to baby them, want somebody to push them along, take care of them, meet every need of their life, hold their hand, pacify them, feed them like everything they want, just like they want, when they want it. It's pretty easy to tell the difference between somebody riding in one of these and somebody who can cut their own stake. I don't know if I can define it. I don't know if I can explain it. But I know that the two pictures are different. And God has called us to maturity. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you are here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the things we're talking about, quite honestly, are hard, difficult for you to understand because you've not even come to the point where you can understand milk. But this you can understand. That you and I are sinners. We have sinned against God. And that sin separates us from God. And apart from Jesus Christ doing a work in our heart and us changing, repenting, changing directions in our lives, we cannot be saved. It's not about joining a church. It's not about being baptized. It's about walking with God in a change of direction in your life. Saying no to yourself and saying yes to God. 
It is about surrendering and letting Him have control, letting Him sit on the throne of your heart. You no longer taking residence there, but you go down and bow before Him as the Lord and Master of your life. If you've never done that, then I want to encourage you today to make that decision, to make that commitment. There'll be men here at the front who'd be glad to share with you. There are other folks who'd be glad to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of us here today are believers. We've been believers. Some of us have been believers for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. But how are we doing on the difference between milk and meat? Let me ask you, if you've been a Christian at least 10 years, who are you investing in? Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you trying to teach and to train what it means to walk with God? Say, so, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. No, but you've got something to give. Say, so, well, I, I, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not a good communicator. No, but you could be a J.P. McDaniel. You could sit down on the floor with four and five-year-olds. And I guarantee you, you know enough about the prodigal son to tell them that story. You know enough about the loving father to tell them that story. And to be remembered and to make a difference rather than just being a faint memory. Oh yeah, I think I remember them. I think they used to go to our church. You can only plant seeds in ground that you've tilled. And the seeds only grow where you nurture those seeds and water them and fertilize them and invest in them. So I'm asking many of you today to make a commitment in your heart to start investing your life in other people, to start pouring your life in other people. It may begin here at the altar. To say, Lord, I've got all this stuff and I've become like an old mildewed sponge. I know so much and I'm doing so little with what I know that today, God, I want you to open up doors of opportunity for me to invest in somebody else, for me to make an impact in someone else's life. I may not know it all. I may not have all the answers, but what I do know, Father, I want to share. I want to share with others so that they can grow. So Mark's going to sing, choir's going to sing, and as he does, you come and respond publicly to what God has said to you today.
heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you leave here today honest with God? Would you admit that there's something you could do? There's someone you could invest in. It may be your grandchildren. It may be your children. It may be somebody in your Sunday school class. It may be someone younger than you. Spread out around this room is a great wealth of knowledge, but it needs to be shared. One of the great sorrows of my life is those that are remaining with Vance Havner's family have chosen not to share his stories. They're holding on to them. And those stories will go to the grave and then they'll be gone forever. Will your stories go to your grave with you? The times that God has proven himself faithful times that God has intervened in miraculous ways in your life, of times when God has done the unexplainable, when He's answered prayers that you weren't even sure you had enough courage to pray them. But He came through. When's the last time you told someone? Today would be a good day to start. Today would be a good day to share that story with somebody one day you won't be able to. Time is fleeting. Life is short. What God has poured into us, He wants us to pour out into the hearts of other people. Father, we ask You in Jesus' name to bless the words of Your Word. Use it to touch our hearts and to quicken our hearts. In Jesus' name. You'd be seated. Patrick's going to come in just a moment. We're going to take our offering, but let me remind you, if you're our guest, gentlemen, you can go ahead and take the offering. We're, if you're our guest, then we want you to either uh, turn in that guest form in the offering plate or uh, to bring it to the back and let us meet you in the back and give you a gift for being here today. Patrick's going to come and pray for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us today to take the next step in our maturity. Whatever that step may be for each of us individually, Lord, show us and encourage us and strengthen us. God, help us to move forward instead of staying where we are. God, as we come to give to you today, for many of us this may be a step of maturity, but God, help us to give out of hearts that overflow with your love. Out of a heart that is so grateful for the things that you've given us, that God, we can't help but give back to you. Lord, we just love you, praise you, and honor you today. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
God did a wonderful thing for this church when he brought John and Heather Spencer here to be members, and then he did an even better thing for us when he brought them to our staff. We're grateful for all they do to make a difference in the life of this church. Let me mention a couple of things before uh, we leave. Uh, if you would like to know more about Crown Ministries or if you'd like to know about how to be involved in Evangelism Explosion, uh, trust me when I tell you, if you get involved in either of those two things, you will go deeper in your relationship with God and have more confidence about the things that God wants to do in your life. In either one of those areas, right out in the ticket area, we'll have some folks there that can help you to understand how you can get involved. And I hope that you're praying for our folks that are here this week as they go out and share the good news and the gospel uh, this week in our community, that God will give them a great harvest of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then next Sunday, Dr. John Maxwell will be with us next Sunday morning at 9.30. We've invited uh, business leaders across our community, community leaders, uh, political leaders across our community to come. So be good hosts and welcome them and greet them with the love of the Lord. Uh, John Maxwell is the author of many best-selling books. He's appeared on New York Times best-selling list and uh, is one of the great motivators, one of the great speakers on leadership in America today. Uh, he will only speak in four churches this year. Uh, he has limited himself because of numerous commitments to speaking in four churches where he can drive to the church, speak, and get home, and be home that night. He's not traveling around the country. He will probably have this year about 5,000 invitations to speak. He will speak in four, and ours is one of those four. This is an opportunity not just for us to be blessed. This is an opportunity for us to invite people in our community 
to come and hear someone, to expose them to the gospel, to expose them to a warm and friendly environment in the church, and to let them to see the difference that Christ has made in our lives and the difference that Christ has made in the life of one of America's great leaders. So John Maxwell will be with us next Sunday morning. Now, uh, Mark's going to come and talk about next Sunday night. And next Sunday night, we've got a double barrel as he's coming. And before he shares, uh, let me mention that tonight, we have a very powerful service tonight. And I, I don't want you to miss it. I have a gentleman who's traveled all the way from the Ukraine who will share with us tonight about how as a communist, he gave his life to Christ. And Kim Dickey will come and share with us tonight. Many of you have prayed for Kim. She had cancer all over her body. And God miraculously healed her. And she will give her testimony tonight. And then tonight, we're going to look at Hebrews 6 briefly. I've shortened my message knowing we we're going to have all this. You'll be pleased. We're going to look at why people turn away from God when they have problems and what it does to the gospel. So it's found there in Hebrews chapter 6, and we'll pick up in that tonight. But uh, Mark's going to come and tell you next Sunday is Double Barrel. Uh, John Maxwell and then what our choir's been working on, he's going to come and share that with you. The choir and orchestra have been working very hard on God is working, but something has happened to us in the process. We've found out that God is working, and uh, we believe that. And so I, what I want to tell you is this is not a concert. It's going to be an experience, and we really believe that if you come, God will change you. We believe that God will show you that he is working, and he'll show us that he wants us to work outside the walls of this church, to work in our community, to where he wants to work in our own heart and life, and he wants to make a difference, and he wants to use us. And so I want to encourage you to be there next Sunday night to be a part of it. Again, it's not a concert, although it is filled with great music and great testimonies. More importantly, it is an experience where God can change you, and you will see that God is working. So we're about to dismiss you, but... So uh, you're officially dismissed, but I want to tell you, you probably don't want to go because we're about to sing a song from God is Working. If you have to, you can, but you probably don't want to miss it. Lisa, <laughs> our for this, so. Hey, and nobody's leaving, that's correct. <laughs> 